39 Topics for the CCFP Exam Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Brady Bouchard. This week, we're joined by Dr. Mike Curlew from Sioux Lookout, Ontario. He's a clinical associate professor with the Northern Ontario School of Medicine. He is also the author of the famous or infamous Curlew's podcast for the CCFP, which are a recording of his lectures for, I'm assuming, residents out in Sioux Lookout. We're glad to have him. Let's get right into it right now. Well, thanks for joining me on this. Uh, I mean, yeah, sure. I, I know you're all big on critical care, so I think that's great to have you on to chat about anaphylaxis, just because despite them calling it allergy as a priority topic, almost all the yeah. key features are anaphylaxis. Anaphylaxis, exactly. And that's, and that's kind of interesting because when you look at allergy, like allergy, you can do a whole fellowship in allergy. Like you can, you can go to, you can spend years of internal medicine, spend years on top of that, just spe- specializing in allergy, right? As a family physician, they want you to be able to, yeah, there's some key concepts about allergy and we can go through them, but it's also as well too, okay, I have the person in my office who comes inside and they ate a peanut and they know that peanuts make them die. Then how am I going to deal with that? Right? So, and how do I go about, um, how do I go about them um, dealing with that and stuff? And how can I deal about with that in a, in an appropriate manner and stuff. So, and it's interesting because if you actually scrutinize the evidence for most of the stuff that we do with anaphylaxis beyond epinephrine, we have kind of crappy evidence for it, right? It's really kind of epi. And then, you know, a lot of stuff that we like to do that we probably might help a little bit with the itch. Does that make sense? Exactly. We like to make ourselves feel better so that when they get that refractory reaction, nothing, like, we did something Exactly. More. Nothing actually makes me feel better, better than pushing Benadryl IV, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And having that blood pressure go from 120 to 60 and being like, this is not supposed to happen, right? So. Yeah. And that's probably one of the biggest clinical pitfalls right there that you hit on the nail on the head for residents and practicing physicians alike is is right. not making that diagnosis early or there you go. making the half diagnosis saying, well, they're probably there. They're they probably pr- yeah, need Benadryl. They're a little anaphylactic. Yeah, it's like saying a you're bit. a little, you have a little bit of multi-system organ. Just a touch. It's just a touch right? of it. You know, yeah. Just a touch of anaphylaxis. You know, it's, it's, it's not the whole, it hasn't permeated through. It's exactly. just a flavor. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's a flavor you don't want to taste. Yeah. And then they hope that the Benadryl is going to make a difference and lo and behold, There you go. Let's doesn't. give you Benadryl. Yeah. Let's, I know. Let me give you something I can get over the counter. Yeah. Right? Now that's going to help. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't really understand that hesitation. I think everybody, for some reason, comes out of med school really scared of adrenaline. But I mean, we, we give it to patients at home. They have an EpiPen. They're encouraged it, to use it, it early. And exactly. we don't. Exactly. And that's the thing is that when people have anaphylaxis, when people have anaphylaxis, right? Like you can go from being alive to dead in like 15 minutes and stuff, right? So, so, and with food anaphylaxis, within half an hour, people went from being, oh my God, I ate the peanut to now I have a cardiac arrest. So that is like, that is a significant issue. So you really want to make sure that people are giving that I am epi because all the other stuff that we give, we don't have nearly the type of evidence for. It's for the itch. It's for the skin stuff, right? It's not going to help all that much with the respiratory dysfunction and the, and the, and the upper airway closureitis, right? It's not going to help with that stuff, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I guess the other big point in there that I see as a caveat for people is they're waiting for that hypotension. And if you look at the criteria, which you don't even really need to have in your head, because I mean, it's a clinical diagnosis. If somebody, if you think somebody's in anaphylaxis, they're probably in anaphylaxis. There you go. Um, but there's one specific criteria in there that doesn't even require hypotension. 
There you go. There you go. And that's, and you know, it's kind of interesting too, because a lot, for a lot of people, we don't have a clear definition. Like there's about, there's all these international societies. And if you're an international society, you want to have your definition of anaphylaxis, right? So some definitions will use, you need to have skin changes plus respiratory symptoms plus another organ system. You know what I mean? I kind of say, if you have an exposure to something and all of a sudden your body stops working, then you probably have anaphylaxis, right? And it's, and just keep in mind, it's not only what, what our mind kind of focuses on is always the 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 wheeze and stuff right you can have gastrointestinal dysfunction and that can be just as important right so if you have angioedema and you start puking right you can have anaphylaxis even though you're not hypotensive right and that's where i actually like the the 4ai the american academy of allergy asthma and immunology their criteria because they kind of hit that on the head with the three of them saying that you don't need skin changes you don't need the typical changes if you have nausea and vomiting and you need two exposure. organ systems yeah, exactly. and exposure. Or just one uh, organ system and a known allergen for that patient. And a known, known allergen, then it's probably okay to give that epinephrine. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So for those of you who want the nitty-gritty details, here are the diagnostic criteria. This is from the Samson et al. article in 2006. It'll be in the show notes. So anaphylaxis is highly likely if one of the following three criteria are met. The first criteria is... Acute onset of an illness, minutes to several hours, involving the skin, mucosal tissue, or both. Uh, For example, generalized hives, puritis, flushing, swollen lips, tongue, or uvula. And, at least one of the following, respiratory compromise, so dyspnea, wheeze, or bronchospasm, strider, reduced peak expiratory flow, or hypoxemia, or reduced blood pressure. And the blood pressure that they use in all three parts of this definition in adults is a systolic less than 90. The pediatric one, read up on your own. I'm not going to read it out for you. Criteria number two, two or more of the following that occur rapidly after exposure to a likely allergen for that patient. So again, this is minutes to hours. So two or more of involvement of the skin or mucosal tissue, as we discussed, respiratory compromise, as we discussed, reduced blood pressure or associated signs and symptoms. So collapse syncope incontinence that may be related to syncope um, and hypotension or uh, persistent gastrointestinal signs and symptoms. So this is the one that catches newcomers to the game. Nausea and vomiting can fit with anaphylaxis. And then the third criteria, all you need is hypotension. So the third criteria is reduced blood pressure Again, systolic less than 90, the pediatric criteria you can read up on your own. Systolic less than 90 after exposure to a known allergen for that patient. Again, in the minutes to several hours timeline. And I had a patient in residency that really hit that home for me um, with our yeah. emergency physicians here was we end up having a lady who is, you know, it's kind of that sort of anaphylaxis kind of thing where, yeah. you know, she's she's nauseous. She vomited twice. She doesn't yeah. look too bad but that she's got urticaria all over the place yeah exactly but the the complicating factor was she was seven months pregnant yeah exactly and then you're like oh my god can i give epinephrine to a pregnant person exactly. they already have epinephrine it's yeah. from the adrenal gland they're making it right yeah so, exactly and it's category c in pregnancy it can kill the baby but then it you, can. but then we talk this out and we're like well if she dies baby's dead anyways baby's dead as well Exactly. And that's a very good point that you mentioned is that it's this almost anaphylaxis, right? Like you're better off giving it, right? If you give somebody a dose of I am epi, right? If they come in and they have an exposure plus an organ system that suddenly is stopping working, right? You'll be able to cast your net so wide that you give 
empty, you won't miss anybody, right? It's when you kind of say, well, they're not hypotensive yet, or they don't have a rash yet. 10% of people with anaphylaxis don't have a rash. They can come inside with wheeze and puking their guts out, right? And next thing you know, they're, 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 they're um, um, so we can't be afraid of the epi. Benadryl and all the other stuff beyond, beyond the skin's changes stuff, it hasn't really been shown to pan out in terms of evidence. It's epinephrine, giving the epinephrine, giving the IM epinephrine, right? And know your peds dose and know your adults dose. Perfect. Yeah. And the antihistamines help for like those kind of, symptoms around it so the rash exactly they don't help the respiratory compromise they don't help with the they life-threatening don't. changes they don't help with the life-threatening changes right people have people have you to carry for six weeks right and what we do if someone hi i've been having hives for seven weeks you're gonna say here take some benadryl and <laughs> yeah, go exactly. home right like <laughs> you're gonna say like yeah and we'll see you in two weeks right yeah so that's the thing and stuff it's really the epinephrine that's going to be beneficial well and that's where that sort of anaphylaxis comes into play again too because you can have anaphylaxis that develops a little bit slowly. Like it's not going to be right. days, but it can be right. hours. And people exactly. come in and they're like, oh, I've sort of been feeling a little bit worse for the last couple hours. I got stung by there a you go. three hours ago. Well, that that can still still be anaphylaxis, but you, you're you lulled into a false sense of security. It's anaphylaxis light, exactly. right? Like it's not like anaphylaxis. Like it's not like, oh my God, this patient has anaphylaxis. It's let's grab a coffee anaphylaxis and then come and see the patient, right? And there's no such thing, right? When you have that, there's no anaphylaxis light. If you have somebody, and you even if you're suspicious, give the epinephrine. If they have an exposure and organ systems start dysfunctioning, and it's not, and people don't just have respiratory symptoms, they don't just have angioedema. That's the easy stuff, right? It's that they can have just GI symptoms where maybe they have gastro, maybe they have anaphylaxis, right? So get your dose of um, get your dose of epi and give it. You're dealing with something that if you have like if you have if you have a food allergy, you can go from if they they did a study on looking at anaphylaxis fatalities and they found out that in food allergy in 30 minutes the person went from talking to you about the weather to dead, like cardiac arrest in 30 minutes, right? So this is not something that you have a whole lot of time with things yeah there's studies that talk about the median time to death actually in that and it's yeah. a pretty short number like it's single digit it's single digit sometime so i went back and looked and it's actually a median time this is a median time to respiratory or cardiac arrest of 30 minutes for foods 15 minutes for venom and five minutes just five minutes for an iatrogenic reaction and this is from an article in 2000 by pumphrey um, so I guess along that line, then, what kind of definition do you use? Like you talk about these different criteria, but in your clinical practice, is it just something you have in the back of your head and it's just kind of a vague definition? Well, I like if I start seeing organ systems dysfunctioning quickly after an exposure. That's like kind of my working definition. Yeah, for the examination, you're going to have, yes, the American Academy of Allergies states that, you know what I mean, and stuff, their definition is going to do organ systems plus an exposure, and it's within two hours. Or this society is going to say, oh, it has to be skin changes plus respiratory changes plus one of hypotension and GI symptoms. That's fine. You can use whatever you want. I kind of like to use, you've been exposed to something, or I think you were exposed to something, and all of a sudden you have a whole lot of badness. Think of anaphylaxis. Very few things, even if you're septic, right? Oftentimes you won't progress that quickly, right? Right? If, if, you, you're gonna do, if you come in, and especially if the history was, hi, I was at the store just chilling, drinking a fresca, and all of a sudden my airway closed and I puked my guts out and I'm hypotensive. I didn't all of a sudden pick up gram-negative bacteremia from my lightly carbonated beverage does that make sense like that doesn't make sense right like you're gonna think that's way more likely to be an anaphylactic response right because you don't go from normal to uber sick that fast exactly it's always that damn fresca 
And that, that's the point, too, is that patients usually have a trigger or they'll know a trigger or they'll be like, there I got go. sick after this. I ate this. I did this. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. so we talked about those adjunctive treatments a little bit. You give an H1 blocker, you give an H2 blocker, you can give steroids if you feel like it. Like you mentioned, they don't really have a lot of evidence around them. They don't make they don't. They don't. things. They just make exactly. you feel a little bit better. Exactly. They make us feel a little bit better. So yeah, if you want to feel a little bit better, you can give some Benadryl. Your adult dose is usually 25 to 50 milligrams IV. The thing is the problem, Benadryl, if you give it as a push, it tends to make people join the hypotensionitis club, right? So be cautious. Now, hey, my person's hypotensive. I'm going to treat that with more hypotension, right? So just keep that in mind, right? Steroids, again, to prevent the infamous biphasic reaction. They've actually done some studies to say that it's actually not all that common, right? That... In terms of, you know, if the person is sicker, yes, you're going to watch them. But some people, if they get better quickly, they probably don't need to be watched all that long. Does that make sense? Um, 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 steroids. Age two block. Um, um, so things like giving IV ranitidine, right? Very good if you have bad gastritis, right? Not even very good if you have bad gastritis, right? Even less evidence for giving that, right? But it's part of our compendium of drugs that we always tend to associate with anaphylaxis, right? So now my big question is, suppose the person's on a beta blocker. Right. You got a dude and he's like, oh, man, I'm taking my beta blocker and and that remember your friend glucagon, right? Like sometimes you're, you're still going to get epi. But remember your friend glucagon, right? Try to blast in a little bit of glucagon. I shouldn't say blast, right? To kind of kind of you don't ever push anything like adenosine push because it's it can make people, you know, start puking their guts out. You know what I mean? Um, 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 and then it kind of clouds your judgment. But just remember that you have some glucagon as well. Right. So so key thing in mind. When somebody has anaphylaxis, catch it early. Even if you suspect it, your principal drug that stops the bad crap that makes people die is epinephrine. Your adults for adults is usually 0.3 to 0.5 milligrams. For kids, it's 0.01 milligrams per kilogram. What is an EpiPen Junior or your EpiPen Junior? Usually it's 0.15, so usually half the adult dose. You know what I mean? And stuff for your EpiPen. And guess what? People think, people have this impression that when I give Epi, it's like, I give this once. And it's like, I don't have to worry about it again. No, 15 to 20% of people require an additional dose, right? So if they're sicker, they might have more skin changes, they're more hypotensive, they might need an additional dose, right? I've had patients that have had such bad anaphylactic responses that sometimes you need to get some IV epi going, right? Now that, you want to make sure you double and triple check, right? Because that could do some serious damage and stuff. Well, and that's the point is that you should never be giving adrenaline upfront IV, but you may need yeah. an, to get an infusion ready. And I would say after the second dose, not that I've had it happen yet, but if I've given yeah. my second dose of adrenaline, they still look sick. They're going down the tank. I would at least get it drawn up, get the infusion set up. So exactly. 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 Totally agree and stuff. Get your infusion after that second one. Keep in mind, most people are going to be fine after a first dose, but you are going to have up to 20% of people that are still going to have symptoms. They're going to need another dose IM, right? The big thing is, where do we have the most evidence for? It's epinephrine. Give your epinephrine. Yeah, if you want to give Benadryl, if you want to give some steroid, if you want to give an H2 blocker, that's fine, but we don't have nearly the type of evidence that that stuff prevents the type of badness that tends to kill people, right? Um, um, there's no condition called anaphylaxis light. You either have it or you don't, or you suspect it, yes or no. If you suspect it, give the IM epi. If you're pregnant, give IM epi. If you have heart failure, give IM epi, right? Because you're going to run into problems if you say, man, this person has anaphylactic light, or I'm not sure, and you not give it for something that, you know, the clock is, tip is ticking where in 30 minutes, a lot of fatalities can occur. Exactly. There's a good study that I'll, I'll put in the notes as a reference, but where they looked at, they did a chart review of patients who eventually had for sure proven anaphylaxis based on, you know, hypotension getting quite systemically unwell. 
the the most common first line drug is Benadryl. So we're so we're getting it wrong. <laughs> exactly. Let's gr- do they do that in the ICU? Hi, this patient's over there. Let's get him some cough medicine. Does that make sense? <laughs> like we don't do that. That stuff doesn't even work, right? Again, if you look at an- even an anaphylaxis, where does that stuff help? It may may help, and may is in air quotes. May help with some of the skin manifestations, but the respiratory distress, the the cardiovascular collapse, those types of things, the shock, it does not help with the H uh, um uh, um medications like ranitidine, medications like Benadryl, right? So that's the kind of stuff that that is really kind of my second tier medic. It's not my first line medication, right? So those are the types of things. If someone is that sick, make sure they get Epi. Benadryl is not going to do crap. Absolutely. I think that's the point to hammer home there. And then one last point that I was going to ask you, just with your expertise here, was, so we're considering these biphasic reactions and, you know, somewhere between 5 and 23 to 25% of patients will have a biphasic reaction, usually within the first 72 hours. But you're not going to exactly. watch them in the emergency department for 72 hours. You know what? That's a good point. Because if you read things, they'll say, okay, you could have these biphasic reactions. Oh, my God. Let's watch everybody for three days. And then let's give everybody VRE. And now we'll have sepsis and anaphylaxis to treat. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. They're going to get sick in hospital while they're waiting there. There you go. Let's let's do that. Let's. I want to challenge I want to challenge Brit. I want sepsis and anaphylaxis. It's not good just with one. Let's maybe let's use epi and levofed. Does that make sense? <laughs> exactly. And that's the kind of thing. And my approach is, you know, um, it was interesting because they've done some studies at this, looking at this, you know, what is the what is the 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 incident? And it really it has to be a patient-centered approach. You know what I mean? If the person is sicker and they're more hypotensive, yeah, you're gonna keep them for a lot longer. Does that make sense? But you know, if they're not, then they probably you don't need to keep them for as long, you know what I mean, and stuff. Some period of observation, yes. Three days, definitely not, right? Yeah. No, I think that's totally reasonable. I think in one of the guidelines I saw previously, um, it mentioned between you know two to three hours would probably be a reasonable yeah. period. But even that, then, most re- most reactions happen up to even eight hours. So I don't know. Like if you have a sick patient, absolutely, I think that's a good take home point that you know don't send them home if they're sick or if you're worried about them. Um, exactly. But, but if they're going to have that biphasic reaction, I think it's more about education, knowing that they're exactly. close by that they can get to help. Or and you send them home with an EpiPen there, like you don't give them a prescription, you give them an EpiPen. There you go. There you go and stuff. And it's not to be lulled in the thing that necessarily steroids have been shown to prevent these things, right? Like that's the thing that we have to be lulled. Oh, I gave steroids. So that can't happen. Does that make sense? So I think it's more to think to look at, look at the seats because when they've actually looked at these things, when they've actually looked at these things in, 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 in trials, and there's an interesting one that came out recently in emergency medicine, looking at these biphasic reactions that it's probably like the incidence of clinically significant biphasic reactions is probably lot lower than we thought before you know what i mean so i kind of have a patient-centered approach patients that are sicker you probably watch them for longer than patients that aren't that sick and we can't use a cookie cutter approach to say oh every patient needs to stay in the emerge for nine and a half hours overnight does that make sense with that you know what i mean yeah if the patient's hypotensive on oppressors yeah they probably are going to be watched for a period of time you know what i mean there's no question about that but i don't think we have anything to advocate for a specific cookie cutter response yeah no i think that's a great point yeah. I think we hit all the all the key features on the head there, Mike. There you go. I think I think we did. And you know what? I, I think one of the important things to emphasize too, patient education. That is so important with anaphylaxis. You touched on it. EpiPen. But you know what? It's 
patients need education. Listen, they need allergy testing, right? Like they need to, you know, you need to get them to see an allergist or get them so that they can understand concepts of avoidance, right? So this is really patient-centered because once you've had one episode of anaphylaxis, you don't want to experience it again, right? And avoidance is going to be key, right? If it's kind of like, oh, you know what? I got anaphylaxis, but I got my EpiPen and everything was cool. No, that's not it. You want to be make sure that patients get good education and your approach is really patient-centered. And they leave your institution with an EpiPen and they're going to get some type of follow-up to see some type of allergy specialist, right? So that they can leave the place knowing that, okay, you know, I'm going to get follow-up on this and stuff to see, to, 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 to get some, um, to get some uh, guidance on this. And I love the idea of leaving with the EpiPen. Yep, absolutely. We have them in stock them in the ED for that reason specifically. Exactly. And making sure they get follow-up, right, with their primary care provider and eventually an allergy specialist to do some testing, right, so that we can know. And it's that education, right? That's going to be so key. Because you know what? It's like, you know what? It's not only for the person. It's for that person's place of work. That kid's school needs to be aware, right? That, yo, like, if you're going to be doing this, this child has anaphylaxis, so there's specific protocols that that school follows, right? So it's the education is around, is entirely around the patient. So I think that's critical to make sure all that, you there know, you you know, non-pharmacologic lifestyle patient center is uber important in this particular topic. Absolutely. Do you ever recommend patients get a medical alert bracelet? I like the medical alert braces. Yeah. Hi, I'm alert. I have an anaphylactic reaction to nuts. Don't hide nuts as a surprise for me, right? Like, that's probably a good idea, right? So I, I, I you know, I, I like the idea of the medical alert braces or some type of early warning system. So if this person is found you know, is found with cardiovascular collapse, you're going to think about, man, there's a medical alert bracelet on there and I'm on that individual. And they're saying, this person is anaphylactic. Maybe I should consider that. And the key thing, key thing is a clinician then, which I'll admit, I don't always look for is look for that medical alert bracelet too. There you go. Excellent. Always keep an eye. Cause sometimes it can give you useful tidbits for what could be, um, what could be, um, what could be, um, you know, what could potentially be going on. But yeah, I think, I think we, I think you hit the nail right on the head. I think, Anaphylaxis, there's a rule number one, there's no such thing as anaphylaxis light. You either have it or you don't. And have it equals I think the person may have it. Does that make sense? So even if you, exactly. Number two, your treatment is epi, not Benadryl, not steroids. Your treatment is epi. Give epi. Don't be afraid. Give the epi, right? 0.3 to 0.5 milligrams in an adult, 0.0 milligrams um, um, per kilogram in a kid, or usually 0.0, um, uh, 0.15 anterior lateral thigh, give it. Does that make sense? If the person, keep in mind, 20% of the time, people are going to require it again. If you want to give other medications like Benadryl and steroids, that's great. You can, but keep in mind, we don't have the evidence that those things help beyond um, the, the, a lot of the cutaneous symptoms, not necessarily preventing the stuff that actually kills people. And making sure that uh, how do you manage anaphylaxis? You look at the patients. Patients who are really sick, we need to keep an eye on them longer for people who are not that sick, right? And we probably have evidence to support that. And also to make sure that if a patient has anaphylaxis and you've cured them, you've taken your magic wand of, of healing on them, and now they're healed, they don't just leave the hospital with, with nothing but the grace of God, right? They need to have an EpiPen and lots of knowledge and, and planned um, follow-up and stuff. Absolutely. I think that's a great summary, Mike. Perfect. Nice work. Excellent. We'll have to do this again. Thanks for joining we'll me We'll have today. to do this. Thanks. No problem. Anytime. I, you know, Northern Saskatchewan, fantastic place. But <laughs> Plain Saskatchewan has my three favorite things. Really? Potash, canola, and flatness. <laughs> <laughs>
right? Do, do you even know what potash is? What they use? I know what potash is, right? Like <laughs> That's awesome. Saskatchewan is fantastic. <laughs>